Listeners, welcome back to the Agora, the podcast brought to you by Macropolis. I'm Nick Malkoutsis. Just as the long, hot Greek summer begins, we're back to provide you with searing insights on the latest developments in our part of the world. I'm Phoebe Fronista. Great to be back with you, Phoebe. Uh, listeners, this is the first episode of our third series. And we're going to get things started by looking at how the economic situation in Greece is shaping up after more or less a year and a half of COVID. So Nick, the good news is that the virus itself seems to be on the retreat. And as restrictions are removed, there are hopes that this summer will be as close to normal as we could expect under the broader circumstances. Yep. Later in the podcast, we'll be speaking to Macropolis stalwarts Yanis Mozaikis and Georgia Naku to look at a range of issues, apart from COVID, of course, that will define our summer and the rest of the year. So what kind of things are we talking about? Well, we're talking about what expectations Greece has for the tourism season. We'll also be looking at the latest economic data to see what we can draw from that. And we'll dip into the Greek recovery plan and the EU funds, of course, that will help drive it over the coming years. Quite the rapid econ tour there. <laughs> well, it's what we're about at Macropolis VV, piercing analysis in bite-sized chunks. But first, you've been out and about to get a sense of what businesses that rely on tourism and people enjoying themselves. Yes, we once used to do that. <laughs> uh, well, what are these businesses going through at the moment? We will. We will again. I'm sure of it. But until we do, I went to speak to the manager of a private beach here in southern Athens to get an idea of how things are looking as the summer holidays begin. You see, here I am stuck in the virtual studio and you're going to the beach. <laughs> uh, I really have to sit down and examine where things went wrong for me, Phoebe. Anyway, let's see what our man at the beach had to say. It's just past 11 in the morning, on an extremely hot June day, and already almost all the sunbeds at Akhtituiliu, the coast of the sun, have already been claimed. There's clusters of bathers with their own chairs, sitting in the shade of palm trees on the white sand beach, and others are playing racquetball near the clear blue waters. In the back, Staff are putting the finishing touches on what look like wooden cages, but will turn into VIP sunbeds with extra privacy. We are in a beach no more than 10 kilometers from the center of Athens, in Alimos. We are one of the largest organized beaches, as we call them here in Greece. We host about uh, two to 3,000 guests approximately every day. That's Nikos Venieris. He's the manager here. And I wanted to talk to him because this particular stretch of beach, with its restaurants and wet park, attracts a lot of foreign travelers. And I wanted to find out 
a month and a half after Greece opened up for tourism and entertainment. How are things going? Okay, and let me correct you. It used to have large number of vis- visitors from abroad. Now the number of visitors from abroad has reduced uh, without having something you know written and checked. Just from seeing it, it's more than 50% drop on the incoming tourism here in the beach. Uh, hopefully later on next month, uh, due to vaccination and uh, free, you know, uh, traveling, uh, we hope to have this number increased. Okay, but things seem to be going pretty well. I mean, it's a weekday and it looks pretty full, no? Yeah, it looks pretty full. Uh, mainly locals, very, very few uh, people from abroad. The ticket price is the same for locals and tourists alike. Six years on a weekday, eight on weekends, four years for a sunbed. But their spending habits are completely different. Definitely, definitely locals. The turnover is quite, quite different from uh, tourists because having in mind that the locals have a spot here, they can have their lunch at home or they can have a coffee home. It's it's completely different market, the locals from the tourism. Nico says that turnover right now is about the same as it was last summer. When, again, after the first lockdown, beaches opened to the public in mid-May. We have a drop around 30% in overall. And that's due to COVID, I would say. That's a very, very important factor is COVID. We have a team that we call the disinfection team that walks around the beach and disinfect the WCs, changing rooms, umbrellas. Yes, yes, we need more people with less income. But he's optimistic that things will turn out better than last summer, when cases began to spike in August, at the peak of Greece's tourism season. I asked him if he was worried about the new Delta variant. I have hopes, I have fears, but at this point, after all these years, to be honest with you, I stopped watching news and I stopped caring about COVID. And he's just too busy. Because... Every week, as the government loosens more and more restrictions, like allowing live music and more people in one area, Nikos and his team are constantly making adjustments and reconfiguring everything. And so far, it's gone well. Slowly, slowly, some DJs are coming back. There was no DJ last summer, but uh, now slowly, you know, because every like week or every two weeks we have a new regulations to follow. Week by week we make a program even better and back to normal. That was Nikos Venieris speaking to Phoebe from the sun-kissed beaches of southern Athens, explaining whether, for businesses like his, the next few months will be all blue skies or whether the storm clouds are gathering. Sun-kissed blue skies. Am I detecting a little jealousy about my assignment, Nick? <laughs> well, it may be a leftover from speaking to our features editor, Yuri Naku, who had an even more cushy number than you, Phoebe. 
as uh, she's been on the Cycladic island of Andros for the past few days. Okay, she beats me. <laughs> well, it wasn't all sunbathing and cocktails for your year, as we forced her to tear herself away from her grueling schedule <laughs> to speak to us about how the tourism season seems to be going. And Macropolis co-founder Yanis Mozakis joined us to discuss the broader picture regarding the Greek economy and what to expect now that COVID-related economic relief is being phased out and the EU funds are on their way. Let's hear what Yuri and Yanis had to say. So, Yanis and Yeria, welcome back to the Agora. Good to have you with us again. Good to be here. Hello, Nick. Good to be back. Now, as uh, long-time listeners of this show know, no expense is spared on this uh, podcast. So, to get a on-the-ground feeling of how the tourism season is going, we've dispatched the Yeria to Andros, an island not too far from, from Athens, where she's uh, doing her uh, best impression of a digital nomad and uh, getting a feel of the uh, local tourism season. Uh, yeah, yeah, overall last year, Greece barely reached 30% of the intakes of what it gained in 2019 from the tourism sector. This year, the bar has been set a bit higher at about 45%. From the indication so far, is the target within reach? And what's the word on Andros about this summer? Are they expecting it to be better than last year? Hi, Nick. Um, yes, I mean, I can confirm I'm sitting here with a beautiful sea view parked right next to the router. <laughs> it's a hard job, but someone's got to do it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, the atmosphere on Andros is great. From what I've seen, it's it's pretty busy. It is a holiday weekend here in Greece, so there's a lot of Greek visitors. You know, um, restaurants and cafes are open, and um, you know you wouldn't you wouldn't really know there's anything untoward going on. Um, but of course, it, it's it's hard to know what uh, what to expect for the rest of the summer. Just to give a bit of background, the COVID numbers are still going down here this is sort of several weeks into the relaxation of the lockdown and um, things are looking pretty optimistic in terms of the infections and hospitalizations and so on but Greece is still for example on the UK's amber list for travel which really makes it hard for British tourists to come here and that's going to stay that way at least until the end of this month possibly longer. The news that the UK has extended their domestic lockdown for another month because of the prevalence of the, the more aggressive Delta variant um, was not received very well here. Uh, UK is the second largest source of tourists for Greece. Um, the, there's word that there are bookings from other countries, but overall, you also see things like for hotels are only at 25% occupancy. And so people are pinning all their hopes on last-minute bookings. So it, it, it really is quite hard to tell what, what, how the tourism season is going to unfold and whether those targets are to be hit. And I have to say the, the, sort of the mood in the industry is that 
they're going to keep revising those numbers downwards unless there's a big breakthrough ahead. Yeah, it's it, certainly at this stage, it seems that the 45% figure I mentioned is possibly out of reach, but then, you know, people are holding, obviously holding out hope that uh, July, August, even September now we're talking about may turn that around. Yeah, I think I think there's sort of you know talk obviously of extending the the tourism season even into November, which you know weather-wise is perfectly feasible. Yeah, which incidentally is it is a discussion I, I I've heard for the last twenty years about Greece extending its tourism season and not focusing on just three months over the summer. So maybe this is a chance to actually do it because it never happens. That's right. Yeah, I mean this year might be. Um, you know, the time to test that out. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Yuri. Yeah. Thanks for that uh, on the ground uh, sampling of uh, what's happening in the uh, tourism uh, sector. I think it was money well spent send, <laughs> sending you there. I, I, I would have liked to, to hear the wa- waves lapping uh, <laughs> at the beach in the background, but never mind. <laughs> Next time. Yeah, the Wi Fi um, doesn't that far, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you can't have everything. Yanis. No. <laughs> uh, as Greece is waiting to see how the summer plays out, which is so vital, as we know, to the Greek economy, there was some potentially encouraging news regarding this year's overall economic output. Many saw the GDP data for the first quarter of the year as being good news. And just to put listeners in the picture, GDP rose by 4.4% compared to the previous quarter and contracted by just 2.3% compared to the first three months of 2020. And I say just 2.3% because obviously people were expecting a bigger contraction. Yanis, uh, there was a lot of, if I can say, excitement about this news because, as we said, the the picture appeared slightly better than uh, had been feared. What's your take on this development? How much should we read into these figures? Well, I think that this is something that we saw uh, across Europe in the you know the first quarter uh, macro results because uh, I get a sense that after a year in this situation the the economies and consumers managed to adapt a little bit to the um, to the situation plus uh, although we were in a in some form of mobility restriction since probably the end of November uh, it did not have the same nature as the you know the, the sudden stop that we experienced at the end of you know, March last year that saw across Europe and I mean globally a very sharp uh, you know collapse in uh, in economic activity. So yeah, I, th- I think there's an element of uh, adaptability to the new uh, economic situation, and another factor that I think we should definitely consider is the fact that uh, the there's been a significant amount of uh, government support that uh, was actually dispersed during the first months of the year. The the various relief initiatives that have been rolled out, uh, because I think quickly the government realized that uh, any plans for a, a very short and contained lockdown wouldn't materialize. And they very quickly adjusted the, uh, the support package. I think it's worth, if you look at the, at the numbers that they were uh, included in the stability pro, uh, program that was uh, sent to Brussels uh, a month ago, 
Uh, the overall support, uh, you know, actual tangible support initiatives without you know, guarantees and loans on loans and so on, for last year was roughly 12 billion, and already for this year has exceeded 14. So, uh, as you can imagine, there's this, you know there's a serious component of uh, a safety net uh, under the economy over the period of, of the first quarter. And also, it's interesting if you look at the, um, the data that uh, the statistical authority is sending on the um, suspended businesses as a, re- as a result of those uh, you know, restrictions. Um, it's quite interesting to see that uh, even in the, um, the accommodation and catering, which is combined with retail, the, probably the most impacted uh, uh, sectors from the... Um, restrictions that were put in place. In the, in the first quarter of the year, we had uh, 60, roughly 65,000 uh, companies that suspended their operations, which is 61% of the total, compared to 91,000 in the first quarter mm-hmm. of last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the, towards the end of the yeah. first quarter and during the second that the lockdown was taking place, which was 85% of the, um, of the total universe of of businesses in the sector. So it, is, it takes us back to what we said. Uh, the, the economy adjusted a little bit. It had some support from the government uh, across Europe. And this has been reflected in pretty much most of the data we've seen that we did, that the country did not experience like a really sharp drop in uh, economic activity in the first quarter. Right. And this, of course, uh, bodes well for the, for the rest of the year. Uh, now the economy needs to grow by roughly 6% over the next nine months to hit the, the conservative target of the finance ministry of uh, 3.6% growth. Yep. Uh, this hinges on two factors. One was, you discussed, uh, a, a doubling of the tourism season compared to last year, which I think we have a setback there, uh, most likely will not materialize. And uh, a very efficient way of running uh, the funds from the recovery, recovery and resilience fund from the EU uh, in the next four or five months of the year. Given the uh, situation in Greece, and we went through the first wave relatively mildly in Greece and had, looking back on it now, an almost normal summer uh, in terms of uh, the COVID numbers were very, very low, much lower than they are this summer, even though they've fallen here in Greece in the last few weeks. And given the uh, support that the government has put out there, which is uh, for the size of Greece's economy, was one of the biggest uh, support packages. Um, have we got the results that we expected? I mean, you know, everyone was saying that this is not as bad as we feared, which is which is true. But is it as good as it should have been? You mean the the economic outcome? Yes. Is, yeah. is this as good? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I I, I believe so. Mm-hmm. Considering the situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, rising quarter on quarter and falling just over 2% from the previous quarter, uh, it's it's probably a, a, a decent outcome, especially if you consider that uh, as the lockdown was being extended during the first quarter, analysts and banks were coming out with potential uh, you know, 7, 8 or 9% contraction in the first quarter. So the fact that we reached a third 
uh, it's probably a, a positive development. Okay. Uh, Yuri, as Yanis hinted there, the government is pinning its economic hopes, at least, to the money due to come in this year and over the coming years from the EU's recovery and resilience facility, this emergency package that's put to, been put together because of the COVID situation. The European Commission has approved the government's proposal, the so-called Greece 2.0 plan, and you, you, the European Commission President uh, Ursula von der Leyen came to Athens recently to mark the occasion. Through 68 reforms and 106 investments, Greece creates 100,000 new, permanent and quality jobs and a steady increase of 6.9% in real GDP until 2026. I'm deeply convinced that these reforms, this plan will make Greek come out stronger than ever before. In short, the plan clearly meets the demanding criteria we have jointly established. It's ambitious, it is far-sighted, and most importantly, it will help build a better future for Greek, for the Greek people, and for the European Union as a whole. The Greek plan foresees Athens receiving up to 30.5 billion euros in loans and grants. Combined with EU structural funds and private investment, this could lead to as much as 100 billion euros being mobilised. The Commission reckons it could add a cumulative 7 percentage points to Greek GDP by 2026. Meanwhile, the government is talking about creating an extra 200,000 jobs. But away from the numbers, what can we actually expect from the recovery plan? What actual changes is it likely to lead to? What are some of the headline items, for instance, we should be looking out for in the months ahead? Um, Yes, I mean, we had a very, very slick multimedia presentation of Greece 2.0 when um, the Commission President was visiting against the backdrop of the Athenian Agora, which is surely named after this podcast. Um, obviously we'll, we'll we'll let that one slide yeah it's an honor anyway um <laughs> yes i mean you know the the recovery program um is going to involve substantial sums of of money being spent on things like um the green transformation a lot of uh, renewable energy um digital transformation several sort of large-scale infrastructure projects. Um, But it also is um, going to require um, several areas of reform. Uh, And I think the Commission has been quite clear that the reforms need to be front-loaded. So in the first sort of phase of this programme, they're going to be more interested in seeing reforms being passed rather than milestones being met in terms of, you know, kilometres of highways built or, you know, number of people who've gone through um, reskilling programmes. Um, and on the on the reforms front, we are talking things like, for instance, the Labour Reform Bill that was passed. We're talking about um, rewriting the strategic investment framework, uh, talking about a sort of a number of hybrid projects that are to do with digitizing the public sector, like the tax administration and public spending. Um, and sort of 
programs that have been in the work for years, like the the CADASTA, the National Land Register, um, that has also been folded uh, yes. this. So um, I think, you know, th- there should be a lot going on behind the scenes in terms of, um, you know, what's visible in terms of spending. Um, if I'm if I'm correct, I think we're expecting something like seven and a half billion euros in terms of spending in the first tranche. Only about one and a half of that is expected to be spent in the current year. Uh, and some of it's already in progress. Mm. Um, some of it's been underwritten by the national budget. So, you know, computers for school, tablets for kids, for remote learning, that's already happening. There's uh, three quarters of a billion in energy efficiency projects that are supposed to be start, uh, beginning to be released in the autumn. And then there's a billion and a half in SME programs. And that's going to start trickling through. We're expecting sort of end of this year, beginning of the next. So, you know, not a massive amount of spending from the RRF, I would say, in the next six months. That's going to come later in the day. But there are going to be um, some reforms passed. Some of them are going to be contentious, like the Labour bill. I mean, we're not clearly not expecting an overnight uh, transformation. This is going to be a longer-term uh, project, if you like. That's right, yes, yes. Six years, though, is pretty short-term in the larger scheme of things. I think there's, you know, <laughs> some people are going to have to work really hard to make sure those funds yeah. are, first of all, secured and secondly, you know, channeled appropriately and used effectively. Yeah. Well, well uh, von der Leyen made a, made a, a point of uh, certainly sort of suggest, suggesting that, but that's uh, admitted even from the Greek government side that the big challenge is ha- how to uh, ensure that all this money is absorbed and used wisely. We shall see. I'm sure. I'm sure we'll come back to this uh, yeah. in future episodes. Yanis, to wrap things up, uh, we mentioned earlier that as things stand, COVID appears to be on the wane in Greece. Thankfully, and obviously that situation could change. So we're only talking about. Uh, the present, but this means that the government is starting to wind down the economic relief it has provided during the pandemic, particularly to local businesses, as you mentioned earlier. As this happens, uh, we've noticed a steady stream of associations representing one sector or another coming forward to warn that once state assistance is withdrawn, the picture in terms of businesses shutting down and jobs being lost could worsen considerably. Is this something that we should be worried about? Well, certainly. I think anyone that uh, doesn't think that there's going to be a tail to this and they expect that, uh, uh, you know, we're going to be done with the pandemic on the economic side of things within the next two, three months, I think they are hugely complacent. And I, and I really hope that this is not the the view within the, the authorities. I mean. We have been in a unprecedented uh, circumstances over the last year from the, you know, the economic front, the impact of the pandemic, but also the fiscal support that governments have provided over the last 12 months uh, because we wanted to avert uh, a sudden death because that's what would have happened 
had businesses and staff had not been supported throughout the period, then we would have seen a, a massive economic collapse the last year. Uh, but what happens is that the, the, the initial estimates was, were for this to last between three and six months. We are already approaching a year and a half, and this now starts having like a la- lasting impact. Yeah. And I think a, a, a really good um, example is to look at the, the data in the labor market. And uh, I, I think by in, in January, we had roughly 650,000 people in Farlus, Farlus team, mm-hmm. basically paid by the government. Um, Greece's if, if we look at the actual unemployment data that we get from Alstad, the unemployed in March were 715,000. And the actual people who were in jobs were 3.7 million. So it's a, it's basically people in Farlus are roughly exactly the, by out by 100,000, mm. the number of unemployed mm. that we have at the moment. Uh, at the same time, a lot of people have left the labor force and they went on the side as inactive population because they are not actively looking for a job because they're either paid through a farlo scheme or they think that they will be employed a couple of months down the road in a summer job. This has increased also by a quarter of a million, roughly like 250,000. So all these people have underneath, roughly a million people have underneath them a safety net by the authorities, which is gradually, as you say, being pulled. And now this labor cost now needs to be shifted to the books of the businesses. And these are businesses that uh, they are related to tax codes that have been impacted by the restrictions. So we're looking retail, uh, accommodation, catering, and so on, that have been suffering. And we know that we're going to have a a probably below par tourism season, uh, although retail has been open for the last two months uh, the numbers are not spectacular because this is not the priority of people at the moment until the dust settles and some clarity in, with their finances and their situation uh, is better. So clearly we will see a, a, a transition period that uh, I believe some sort of support, it doesn't necessarily have to be direct transfers. It can be tax breaks, it can be access to working capital through loans can be facilitation in um, managing existing loans. In any way, I am uh, convinced that there will be the need to carry on supporting businesses into this period. And then another aspect, because we spoke about the RRF, the, the RRF is going to come in to, to support uh, growth industries. So, yeah, we're looking at digital transformation. We're looking at green economy. But the problem is at legacy traditional businesses like retail, uh, tourism, shops that sell, uh, you know, provide food around the corner at Sydney Square. Uh, we shouldn't pin our hopes on the RRF to, to deal with, this, with these, these types of mm-hmm. businesses because actually it can have the effect of creative uh, uh, destruction. Which is okay when it happens if you're in the growth side sure. of the equation, but if you are in the one that's suffering, is not. So, yes, certainly it's gonna it's gonna be a tricky uh, next year, and most likely uh, additional handholding will be required 
to take people outside of this uh, dip that we've been experiencing the last year and a half. Okay, Jens, well, that's certainly something to look out for, not just this summer, but obviously uh, quite a bit uh, beyond that. Guys, we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, while Yanis and I go off to do the chores that our uh, respective wives have assigned us, we leave your year to enjoy the wonders of uh, Andros, uh, where we've uh, sent her on this dangerous but uh, important assignment. I'll be sure to post photos. We'll be back, guys. <laughs> yeah. Great. That will be a great consolation. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Nice to have you back in the Agora. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Yoria Naku and Yanis Muzakis from Acropolis, filling us in on the latest economic developments. And that brings us to the end of the first episode of this new podcast series, been great to be back but uh, Phoebe I think I'm gonna have to try and find some exotic spot to record our next episode from uh, maybe a yacht in the middle of the Aegean or something like that (laughs) well tune in for the next episode listeners to find out whether Nick makes it out of the virtual studio (laughs) something to look forward to in the meantime please do subscribe to the Agora on Acast Spotify or Google and Apple Podcasts You can also find out more about the show and Macropolis at www.macropolis.gr. That's Macropolis with a C. And as always, we leave you now with a burst of our theme tune, The Straight Line Blues by the Burgundy Grapes. Bye-bye. See you soon.